0: 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 is our text this morning. I invite you to turn there. Will you bow in prayer with me as we look at this very, very important, what I call a, a watershed type of text. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text, we are reminded of the calling of Jesus into our life. When he said, to go and and he said, I would follow him and he, he would make us to become fishers of men. And we think of the great commission of Jesus where he said to go into all the world and make disciples and to baptize them and teach them to obey. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age, to make disciples. And here we read in this text, Lord, of Paul calling Timothy to the very same thing. We want to be fruitful and multiply, Lord. We want to see your gospel advance. And we know that the obedience, understanding and obeying this verse is the key to that. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would minister just now. Be our teacher. Fill the preacher and the listeners with yourself. May we come away with a mission a life purpose worth living. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm sure you're, you'll agree with me when I say that our culture is pretty much taken up with the idea of a, health, a healthy lifestyle and exercise and fitness. You know, you only have to get up early and see all the people who are jogging. Or if you uh, look outside at twilight when the heat is dissipating and you see the people uh, walking or running. If you go past the local gym, and I don't care what—in some places, I don't care what time of the day or night— there are, there are cars there, and lights are on, and people are running on the, the treadmills and, and doing their exercises, and it's, there's, it's a, it's, there's no question about it. There's a health uh, wave moving across our nation, and, and I'm not one bit critical of it in the sense that we certainly do need to to take care of ourselves, and I spent too many years of my young life, younger life not... Being as careful as I should be, and I ended up with some heart issues, and it was after that that I realized just how important it is to take care of myself. But for what reason, I guess is my question. Why? Why is... Why the health craze? And why do you wanna be healthy? And why is it that our culture wants to be fit? And if you were to interview the person on the street, they would give you all kinds of answers. And, and most of them, if not all, would be certainly fine and valid. But, but in the end, when a person dies, really, what was the purpose? You know, why are you here? And <clears throat> what are you gonna do with your life? And in particular, what will you do, how will you live your life and, how, and what will you do with others so that when your body is no longer in the grave, when, when you are no longer seen, and you are gone, the impact, the, the impress of your life continues to live on and is remembered. Not, not just fondly remembered, but personally, people are different and they're changed eternity is impacted because of your life. If we follow this verse today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, our church will expand, the kingdom of God in general will expand, And you will have adopted a purpose worth living for. You have adopted a purpose that will get you up in the morning and maybe you want to jog a couple times a week because, hey, I want to be strong and I want to be healthy because I have something to live for. I have a purpose. I have something that gets me up in the morning and and I want to make sure I'm healthy enough to do it. But there has to be something that reaches beyond here in this life, and, and becomes an eternal purpose. Second Timothy, chapter two, verse two reads this: "The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others." In this text, I see that there are four spiritual generations. For spiritual generations. Well, now, who is the first spiritual generation? Who would that be? Paul, right? Paul is, is the first spiritual generation. Alright? The second generation, Paul spoke and spoke into the life of whom? Who did he speak into? Timothy, right? So, Timothy is the next generation. And then, Timothy, it says in this text, is to find what kind of people? Faithful Men, right? He's to entrust certain things to faithful men and then it stops there, right? It doesn't stop there. There is a fourth generation spoken of in this verse. Find faithful men, entrust the doctrines to them so that they can teach others. And guess who the others are? You and me, that's us. And because there was obedience to that, we are here today. That's why we are today. Because somebody told somebody and somebody taught somebody and planted that church and shared that message and it has come all the way to us. Somebody laid down their their life. People have laid down their lives for the message and as a result of doing that, we have a Bible and we have a church today because somebody said, I want my life, I want the purpose for my living to outlive my body so that when my my body's no longer around, the impress of my life continues to live on. I want you to have that purpose. Following Paul's command is is the key. Paul is about to depart this life. Uh, many years before he linked himself with Timothy and entrusted to him a divinely revealed treasure of doctrinal truth. And now Timothy is to link himself with others and to pass on the deposit of truth to, uh, to faithful men who will in turn link themselves with others and then keep adding links in the living chain of believers. So what Paul has in mind is preserving and promoting the integrity and accuracy of the message of the gospel. This is not, this verse is misused by some churches to, dis, to uh, prove what's called apostolic succession. So it was Paul and it was Timothy and some other faithful men and some other faithful men and so on Told there's a certain man in some certain city in Europe that sits on some certain place and and, uh, supposedly speaks on God's behalf. This verse is not teaching that. This is not apostolic succession but rather it is paul calling timothy to as we read in chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus guard through the holy spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you this is the command that makes that those two verses happen and trust To faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. The Word of God needs to be promoted and protected. It's always under attack. You've heard things like, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth, so therefore I don't believe the Bible. Well, you know that phrase cancels itself out, right? To say there's no such thing as absolute truth is an absolute statement itself. So, if somebody says that you can say, "Well, if there's nothing as absolute truth, and your statement isn't right." So the, the Bible is always under attack. Hell isn't real. <clears throat> hell is coming under attack. Now that sounds like a weird statement, but the belief in a real eternal hell is is being. Uh, uh, criticized and, and, and put down, and other ideas are being put forth. And there's a huge discussion going on in, in Christian circles about a, a book by Rob Bell. And the Bible's very clear about these things. The contents, there's another criticism, the contents of the Bible have been corrupted. Now, our Muslim friends would say that. And many other people would say that. But the Bible is one of the most reliable manuscript te- manuscripted uh, texts in all of the world. The evidence for the reliability of the Bible is sure overwhelming. And so, 2 Timothy 2.2 is about keeping the truth from, from staying in one place, but making the truth move out from one generation to the next. And right away, when I say that, I want to I immediately address an application, and that is that though Paul is not specifically referencing children as the next group in line, most likely he's speaking of the next generation of believers. This generation, this person here, he or she tells the next person, and they tell the next person it's generation of believers, and that's kind of the, that's the main idea We cannot escape the reality that this verse has a lot to say about parenting as well and has a lot to say about what we do as a church to teach God's word to children and youth, the next generation. And well, we'll say a little bit more about that at the end. But you can't escape that reality. If we're really going to be serious about protecting and promoting the word of God and its integrity and launching it out, it's, it means that we have to prioritize children and youth and get the message to them. And that, think about that. Think about your involvement with that. William Barclay in his commentary in this passage writes, the teacher is a link in the living chain. Now, you know where I got my title from, okay? The teacher is a link in the living chain which stretches unbroken from this present moment back to Jesus Christ. The glory of teaching, think about this. The glory of teaching is that it links the present With the earthly life of Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing opportunity to be able to teach, to promote with integrity the Word of God. Because in the teaching of it, we are linking now with the life of Jesus. And even before that, because all that we believe and do is, is related and linked to the Old Testament. So these four links in the living chain, I want you to see this morning. First of all, with the time that we have, and if we don't have enough time, I do have another Sunday. And uh, we'll finish up the whole rest of this text through verse seven, believe it or not. But I want you to see the first link, and that's the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul. What is his source of truth? His source is nothing less than the revelation of, of God, Revelation specifically and directly from God. Now, hold your place in Timothy, and I want you to see one verse. There could be many, but Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to see very specifically how Paul states it. Where does he get his information? Where does the truth come from? And here it is, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul writes this. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, verse 3, Ephesians 3, 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. And then he gets specific about what the revelation is. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So you understand what he's saying. He's saying this message did not originate from my own mind. I didn't think it up. It's been hidden from ages past, and now it's been revealed. And it's been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. God, in his mercy, chose me to be one of them, the apostle Paul says. And he would say also that in the process of receiving it and in sharing it, he suffered greatly. See, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody truly envied the very back of the apostle Paul. I don't think anybody said, I would like to have the back of the Apostle Paul. It was lacerated, and it had scars because of the gospel, because of this revelation from God. It was a stewardship that God gave to him. It was revelation. It was truth. And the truth was this, that in Christ, we, Gentile or Jew, Rich or poor, female or male, slave or free, doesn't matter. If we are in Christ, we are all one in him. That's a marvelous revelation. Amen? It's a marvelous revelation. It came directly from God. We are one in Christ. And these are the truths of the faith, the gospel in its fullest sense, the standard of sound words, the treasure that was entrusted that Timothy now is to pass on to the next generation. So Paul is very word-focused. And some churches today are getting away from that whole idea of being focused in the word and being driven by what God says in his, in his word. But Paul, in his Second Timothy, in this very book, he, he says the word of God. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 9, the word of God is not in prison. Second, uh, 2 chapter, chapter 2 verse 15, that we ought to accurately handle the word of truth. Check in Timothy 2 Timothy 2.25, his prayer is that those who oppose the message would repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. Timothy, he says in chapter 3, verse 10, you followed my teaching. Chapter 3, verse 14, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. Stay with it. You know what the temptation is today? Is that... We're so, we think, we're so technologically savvy and so, so advanced that somehow the Bible isn't advanced enough. And so we need some new truth, something to go along with the new whatever. And what Paul is saying to Timothy here is... No, no, no. Just continue. Just continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of. From childhood, you've known the sacred writings. He said, stay with them. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, preach psychology today. He says, preach the word. He says, the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. Do you get the idea of the importance of the subject? That it is the communication of God's word. And so the things that Timothy heard from Paul were sourced in God, they came from God. And so our source now is not further revelation, but clear headed, spirit led interpretation of God's revelation. God is no longer adding to the words he revealed. But he provided inspired writings, which we call the scriptures, to preserve the revelation. And it is our written record of what God revealed. Certainly, there's more of God than is written. We know that. God is infinite. But he has taken the time to both reveal and then to provide inspired writings that we are now to study. And so, our source of doctrinal truth is not further revelation, but it is the scriptures. Maybe that may sound basic to you, but that is totally, totally countercultural today. We need the truth of God. Never tire of the truth of God. And so our work, is, it's so simple. It's accurately handle the word of truth as we teach it to others. Now, Paul said... The things which you have heard from me, that, that's what Paul got from revelation, by revelation. He says, in the presence of many witnesses. Now, thought about that for a while. What does he mean by, why did he have to say in the presence of, what's the importance of that phrase to the whole text? What does he mean? You know, a lot of ink has been wasted on this, and, and, and I'm going to tell you what I think, you know, it is, and, and you, can, you can think about it as well. I don't have time to give you all the options, but here's what I think he's saying. He's saying he's referring to the confirming testimony of, of other teachers. He, you know, and I think that's really an awesome thing. Paul... Who, I mean, how many of you don't, I hope nobody raises their hand on this question, have received direct revelation from God? You haven't received any scripture from God, okay? Paul did. And he's saying that there were many other witnesses. And and I think it's not just the people that Timothy was surrounded by in the the church at Ephesus, that is the elders and the other leaders that heard Paul teach. And they could say, yes, remember what Paul said, Timothy? And they could confirm with one. And I think that's included. But Paul also means the other witnesses, other writings of the other apostles. Here's Paul saying, yes, I received truth from God, but I'm not the only one. You see, God revealed himself to other holy apostles and prophets, and together, together, those form a a, a complete witness from God. And Timothy, so these witnesses, Timothy, are those that people that surrounded you, and it also could mean these other teachers and apostles who received other uh, scripture that put together becomes the message from God. And the interesting thing is, when you read the New Testament, when you read the Bible, you have all these different books and all these different authors, and yet, though they're distinct, and certainly, you know, John and his writings are very distinct from Matthew, and, and James, the Apostle James, well, he's very much like Paul, right? I mean, totally distinct, and yet, they don't contradict. They balance one another, and that's how the Scripture works. The confirming testimony of other teachers... And he's saying, Timothy, you what you received from me and heard in the presence of many witnesses. These many witnesses God has brought into your life, for you, and for me. It hasn't been other people who have received revelation from God, but the many witnesses in my life have been those who have built into to me, whether it be other pastors. Uh, friends who have, who have stood me up and, and said don't do this or why are you acting this way to teaching me the truths of God's word and uh, any number of people have been those confirming witnesses to the truth of God to what God was doing in my life have you ever thought about all the people that God has used in your life as those confirming witnesses people that have spent one on one time with you people that <clears throat> you know, teachers that taught youth groups and and taught Sunday school classes, <clears throat> people who have spent time in the Word studying and then they communicated it with you, people have taken you out and, and, and t- taken you aside and said, I want to talk to you about something in your life. I have had all of that. God has richly blessed me with many other witnesses speaking into my life. Have you ever thanked them? Have you ever... Thank God for them. And have you ever said to at least one other person, just make a list someday and just say, I want to thank you for how God has used you as a confirming uh, witness of testimony in my life. These are doctrines which all ears should hear. And Timothy, you need to pass it on. It's been confirmed by others and it needs to be passed on. So there's Paul, generation number one. Now, Timothy is generation number two. What is he to do with this information? Timothy, I want you, he says, to entrust, entrust these, these things, this body of doctrine, entrust these truths, these divinely revealed truths. I want you to entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. Now, interesting the word that Paul uses here is he doesn't say, uh, Timothy, I want you to teach other men. But that's what he's saying to do. In a sense, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to teach faithful men who are going to teach others. But he doesn't use the word teach. He uses the word And trust. So there's a reason. When the Holy Spirit chooses a word that kind of steps aside, makes you think think a little bit, you think, well, why why use that word? What is is the word entrust? Why is that important? The word means to deposit, to place in another's trust. It's the same word used in chapter 114 where Paul says, guard the treasure, the treasure, the trust, which has been entrusted to you. The significant issue here is the way in which truth is transferred from one disciple to another. It's not just given away, it is entrusted. As you receive God's word, you're not just hearing it as information, but it is being entrusted to you for you to do something with it. This means that as we impart God's truth to others, we dare not fail to communicate the sober responsibility that accompanies all reception of truth. The eternal truths of God cannot be treated lightly as though they were on an equal par with other interesting and valuable information. This book book doesn't have to be made alive. It is alive because God wrote it. It's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And it pierces the heart and it divides and it, it exposes the thoughts and intents of the heart. No other book in the world can do that. No other wisdom is available such as the word of God. And so it is not on a par with any, it has no peer. This is why the Great Commission is go and teach everyone to obey. Not just go and teach everybody. Go and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so we ourselves cannot forget or fail to communicate to others that the Word of God is a good deposit, not just information. It is a good deposit for which God will call us to account one day. And the burning question that God will have for us is not, how much did you know, but what did you do? How fully did you obey what you knew? So how do we entrust the gospel and the doctrines of grace to others. This text doesn't specifically say how, but we have some how in the book of Acts, and I'd like you to turn to the 20th chapter, if you will. In Acts chapter 20, you have a summary, Paul giving a summary of his life or his ministry, that is, in the town of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. He's reviewing how he ministered there to the elders because it is his farewell. And the great significance of this farewell in Acts chapter 20 is not simply how he served, that is the, the way he conducted himself. He, he did conduct himself, he does talk about that. He says, I was bold, I was diligent, I was consistent, I was passionate. He said he had tears, he had integrity, he worked hard. Uh, but, but that's not all he said. He also talked about what he communicated and how he communicated it. And that's where I think we get some clues to this idea of how do we how do we entrust God's truth to others? How do we? What does it mean to give it a, give this deposit to others others lives? And I chose several words right out of Acts chapter twenty. But I think if you grasp this, you'll see what it means to entrust to others the Word of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. So there's two words right in that verse that, ha- that give us this idea of what does it mean to entrust the Word of God. The first one is declaring. Declaring. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. To to declare means to bring back word. It means to announce or to report. Paul brought back word. He reported to them his revelation from God. As an apostle, that's his source of truth, we know that. Today, as we said, God is not revealing more truth, but leading his servants to consider what has already been said. That's verse seven of 2 Timothy two. Consider what I say and the Lord will give you understanding in all things. It's our task to consider what God says and study it and then report back. So like now, I'm reporting back to you what I learned this week in my hours of study. It's a reporting session. I'm declaring to you what God has given through prayer and meditation and searching the scriptures. And so when we are going to, to uh, entrust the word, it is that it's, part of it is declaring, it's reporting back what God has showed us. And then he uses the word teaching in that verse. He says, teaching you publicly and from house to house. So teaching is the idea of explaining the doctrines of grace. Who is Jesus? What is heaven? What is hell? What's the Trinity? What are the principles of God's word related to relationships and conflict and and decision-making, money and marriage and friends and work and time and all this stuff? The Bible has all kinds of stuff to say about that. And Paul says he taught them, he explained to them. And notice his explanation was both public like this, but was also in private where he went house to house. And so he probably thought of people who for one reason or another, he, he could see that they weren't quite getting it or, or something about their life didn't quite match up. And so he would go and, and say, you know, there's a problem here or I want to explain this more fully to you. I don't think you got it or um, I'd, I'd like to go further with you. You show great promise. I want to take you further. So it was public and it was private or, or personal teaching. So when you're uh, entrusting the truth of God to others, it's not only declaring, but it's also this idea of explaining and it's teaching. It's, it's breaking it down piece by piece. And then third, go to verse 21, the next verse. He says, I was solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is also a clue to what it means to entrust God's word to others. Solemnly testifying is a word that carries with it the idea of a serious message. It's a matter of grave importance, a life or death issue. It's a warning. Remember back in 2005, August of 2005, late in August, a storm was brewing in the Gulf. Remember that? I bet you know the name of that storm. So Katrina was brewing. And the warning started to be posted late in August for the Gulf Coast. This is going to be a big one. And the warning had no, there was no time for discussion. You don't discuss with a hurricane. There was no time to dialogue about the warning. It was, get out, get to safety. That was it. And the gospel message carries with it a solemn Warning. And the message is this: if you're not in Christ, you're in danger. Judgment is bearing right down on you. There is no escape. There isn't you can't board up your life and and miss the wrath of God. Run to safety. Get out. Come to Christ, in other words. And so, you understand, this is Paul solemnly testifying. Now, that's not, he didn't say it that way all the time. Not every audience required that. But you know, there are times that you're entrusting God's word to somebody. That's what needs to be said. A solemn warning. There's the reality of judgment and hell. And we need to solemnly call people to repent And to believe the gospel, get to safety, run to Christ. That's part of this entrusting ministry. And then look at verse 25. What does it mean to entrust the the truth to others? Verse 25, Paul said, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Well, now that's another word. That's a different, these are all different words. If you looked them up in the original, they would be all different words. They have different nuances and shades of meaning, but they're important. He says, I went about preaching the kingdom. He proclaimed the gospel, the good news that sinners who are under the realm of Satan in death and destruction, in other words, they're in the kingdom of darkness, that sinners can enter the realm of salvation, life, and glory. That's the kingdom of God. He declared that, see, to to preach, the word preach is the idea of a herald of the king. One who speaks, whose, whose authority is not themselves as much as the message that is behind, the person who gave the message has entrusted that message to the, to, the, to the messenger and the message comes with the authority of the king. That's what it means to preach. So when we preach, preaching is different than teaching, beloved. I hope you understand that. And any, anybody that preaches knows that preaching one sermon is equal to preaching uh, several lessons, (laughs) Uh, teaching, teaching several lessons. There are two different things. And one is not necessarily more important than the other. It's all needed. But preaching is announcing a message on behalf of the king. Jesus is the king. And he's not Jesus meek and mild. That's that's not a correct portrayal of Jesus. Yes, in a sense, he, he's tender and he's loving toward us, but Jesus, well, he's like what C.S. Lewis presents in his book, The Chronicles of Narnia, and particularly the, the book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where somebody asks about Aslan, Aslan, the lion, the Jesus figure in the book. He asks the question about Aslan. As, is uh, Aslan, is, is, is he safe? Is this great lie? Is he safe? And what, what's the answer? No. No, he's not. But he's good. There's a big difference. <clears throat> I did not preach to you a safe Jesus. He's king. And, and proclamation is word on behalf of the king. He's good. And he's not meek and mild, but he's good. He is master. He is the sovereign king of kings and Lord of lords. And his name is above all names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I can guarantee you, when you bow before him, having bowed now before Jesus in repentance and faith, you will be filled with joy as you bow your knee to Jesus that day. And you will realize all life long, when preachers got up to announce the good news of the gospel and, and preached the word and they got a little bit excited there was a reason for that ah oh, the king no wonder no wonder he is king and there's one other word that we'll, we'll end here we have some more to say and god willing we'll pick it up and we'll just finish it all next week but there's one other word this idea of entrust what does it mean What does it mean to entrust? It means to declare. It means to announce and report, bring back word. It means to teach and explain. It means to solemnly testify. It's a warning. It's a a serious grave issue. This word of God is important. It means to preach. And the last thing about entrusting, I think, is admonishing. Admonishing. Look at verse 31 of of Acts 20. Therefore, he says... Be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now, the word admonish means to warn or reprove or exhort. The word has the idea of correction with a view toward life change. It's uh, the same idea, you know, you, you just can't hear this. You have to do something with this, brother or sister. And God is calling us to change. Please walk with me as we change together. Admonishing has a view of correcting and teaching with the idea of changing and growing. It really, it syncs up with, it matches the idea of indwelling sin and our propensity to, to drift and to, to wander away. We need somebody else to bring us back, admonish us, come back, come back. And so we need others to speak the truth into our lives by teaching us God's word and clarifying what kind of change needs to take place and to to make make it clear what that change would look like. The goal of admonishing is nothing less than encouraging people's new natures with the gospel. Believe me, it's not slapping a couple Bible verses on a person uh, onto the surface of their life who's hurting and just saying, take, you know, take two verses and call me in the morning. It's not like that. It's, that's not it. It's, and and here's, what, here's what you need to hear. Admonishing is, is really close up. Now, preaching, you know, well, I have all these pews here to, except for Tim. Thank you for being so close. Some of you you know we're we're it's not close up that's okay but admonishing oh admonishing i guess you can admonish publicly but it's done best you know one on one if you want to admonish somebody here's what here's what you need before you can admonish them you need a passport you need permission you need a relationship with them you can't go around just criticizing people. You have to have passport into their life. That means you have to know them. It means you've laid down your life and your time to, to be with them, where they're not a stranger to you and you're not a stranger to them. There's passport. You've sort of earned the right to speak into their life. They know you love them. They know you have their best interest. They know you're goodwilled. And they know that all you're wanting to do is see them See, you want them to walk with Jesus. You have to have passport. Well, so these are the different ways that we can entrust the truth of God into a person's life. And different situations require different kinds of communication. But may I just admonish us publicly, as best I can? I know that we need to end here, but I just want to say, if it is so important to transfer, to proclaim and protect truth of God and make sure it gets to the next generation of believers and the next generation of youth and children. I want to challenge you about that opportunity. There's an unprecedented need right now in our church for these kinds of people who, who want to entrust the word of God to others. Would you consider that? Would God? We don't want somebody who's being pulled in, you know, unwilling. That's not the kind of person. We want somebody who's got a calling in their life. That it's burning on their heart to entrust the truth to the next generation. There's, the bulletin contains amazing opportunities for this. Just check it out. I won't go into specifics. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we bring this to a close this morning, we, we recognize the, the power of your word. And we recognize you. Lord, you are faithful. You are able to empower us to fulfill this command. Thank you for revealing the truth to the holy apostles and prophets. At great cost, Lord, even to their life, it cost them. But they laid it down. They wrote it down, the the truth, and we have it today. We thank you for it. Lord, let us not take it for granted. Let us pass it on to the next generation. Use us in the lives of others, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.